A website is never finished, especially a B2B tech website. Welcome to Forward Slash, the podcast that explores how B2B tech companies can leverage their websites to achieve fast, efficient, predictable, and scalable growth. In each episode, I take a big issue affecting the B2B tech landscape and then pick the brains of marketing leaders around the world to learn how the issue affects the questions B2B tech marketers should be asking about their websites and how to answer them. Let's get into it. Nadia Milani, VP of Marketing at Proposify, which is a proposal software platform for growing teams. And I'll have her provide clarification shortly around what that actually is. She's also a founding member of RevRoom, which is a private community for high growth go-to-market leaders, as well as marketingops.com, which is a community for marketing operation pros. Um, And then you're also an executive event host for Pavilion. So clearly a very community-oriented marketing leader, which is a great perspective to have today. Thank you for joining me, Nadia. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. Really excited to have you. We're going to be talking about and nerding out on, on a lot of stuff today, you know, B2B SaaS go-to-market strategy, ABM, and, and kind of like the future of websites if we get there. But we'd like to start at a high level. would like to learn about you and Proposify and how you came to be the VP of marketing, what that journey looked like. Amazing. So I'm, hi everyone. I'm Nadia Milani. I'm the VP of marketing at Proposify. I've been with the company now for um, just over 18 months, which is awesome because like with, with, with any revenue leader, you want to be able to last beyond that 18 month mark. So I definitely have done that. So yes. Awesome. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. But I actually started out as a director. So it was funny how things work out. Cause I thought I, okay, I'm going to start this company. It was during COVID. I was like, so done with like trying to manage kids and COVID and doing everything digital. And so I'm like, I'm going to take a step down and I'm going to do a director level role. I came across Proposify at the time the market was like super, super hot. I was in an interview with three startups, SaaS brands, and Proposify was the one company that I'm like, yeah, this is the one because it was a director role. So I thought, okay, I can handle this. I was going to report into a CMO. And also I believed in the software, it was solving a real problem. And the problem was like people who, and companies and brands have really messed up proposal processes. So they don't have a process, their teams are growing, they have a sales team, everyone's sending out a PDF or a DocuSign. There's zero analytics or visibility into the proposal process. It's, it's this like black box. And mm-hmm. I was there. I had been on teams where that was happening and it was an absolute shit show. And I was like, well, I could, I totally know that problem. And I was really excited to like solve for that. So I was like, yeah, sign me up. And then three months later, we were one of the early, we had, I had a raise um, in 2021 and I believe it was late 2020. We had a raise and we had, uh, we had kind of overhired and we, so we were one of the first to have a layoff before that became the norm in 2022, like more Q2 and Q3, but we we had a significant layoff in Q1 in January. And then um, most of the big, big chunk of that was marketing, but I was one of the only marketers left. And it was really hard to say bye. To, it was really weird to a team that I just became really close to in a really short period of time. Mm. Um, but then my CEO was like, hey, do you want to be the VP? And uh, because we were at the time looking at going at market and that was like something that I was like down with and I've done before. And I was like, yeah, let's, let's try this thing. But I wasn't like, it wasn't like, yes, for sure. It was like, let's try this. And you'll see on my LinkedIn, I was interim. And then it was like, yeah, let's just do this full time. 
And, it be- and then I said yes to being a VP of marketing at Proposify. So that's the story, long-winded story. Oh, no, all good. Thanks for taking me through that. I'm curious, proposal software is a saturated category, I'm assuming. What does the market look like there? Yeah, it's definitely a saturated market. So we were one of the first, if not the first proposal software company. Um, and we started about eight years ago. So we were definitely like down like a more mature journey. So it was like really cool because we were like the first proposal software company uh, kind of around. Uh, big competitors were DocuSign. And then mm-hmm. Anadoc came into the market and really head to head, very similar product, looked the same, felt the same, was priced exactly the same. Then it was Quiller in Australia. And then since then, like a whole boatload of competitors and a huge like sea of proposal software companies came to be within probably the last five years, mm-hmm. a lot of competitors. And as a marketer, how do you stand out in like a sea of... <laughs> Products that look the same, they feel the same, they're priced the same. It's like somewhat of a feature war. There's some of that that happens, but it's also like, how do you be different from a marketing perspective? How do you stand out and how do you win? So that's like stuff that I think about a lot, but yes, the market has changed. It's evolved. And when we started, we were very much focused on like marketing and advertising agencies. So our co-founders, Kevin and Kyle, they started the company because they came from ad- advertising, the advertising world, and they saw this problem. They saw media agencies and advertising agencies struggling with the proposal process. And Kyle was like, this is the sucks. We need something better. So we decided to go build it. And he had pitched the idea uh, to investors and actually won. And that's when he's like, okay, I'm onto something, built it. And then specifically, we marketed to media agencies and advertising agencies and we quickly became the software for that specific vertical. There was a little bit of development and there was a little bit of a slow start, but um, we quickly grew once once every, people started in the advertising and industry hearing about us, using us, and we really were solving for that problem. And what's great is that the proposal process does not only exist in <laughs> advertising, mm-hmm. it's freaking everywhere. So it doesn't matter if you're in sales, it, does, it doesn't matter what, what sales team you're working in. It's like, it's happening everywhere. But since then, sorry, back to the question is that, yes, the market has become very crowded. And that's when I think positioning is really important. You know, you're in this red ocean, like, how do you differentiate? And that's the question I think that all GTM leaders, specifically marketing, we ask ourselves all the time. There's a lot to unpack there and definitely would love to learn about how you're navigating that saturated market. You said that you were, uh, I guess a couple of years ago, you were talking internally about moving up market. Uh, yeah. Curious about what motions you're using all together right now, what combination. Uh, there's obviously uh, a sales-led, there's a product-led motion as well. Would you consider yourself marketing-led? So it was great because I was at a, an event, an in-person event um, last week, and it was good because it was um, actually Sang Grimbajre, who who's you know, past CEO of Terminus, and it was kind of cool because um, it, was, it was in Toronto. I'm from Toronto, and um, we, we talked a lot about like GTM motions and... Um, one of the things is like, which was validating for me because, um, you know, you, you, you kind of try test new things and you're hoping that you're right for the, for the most part. Um, but what was validating in that is that it's good to have more than one GTM motion. Like, and that was, that was, that was actually very refreshing because I think sometimes what happens is we get caught up mm-hmm. in that we should have one GTM motion and it has to work. And that's what, and that's what I think as a leader can really stress you out because it's like, you've got one shot <laughs> And you go, we got to make this work. 
Mm-hmm. But it was validating to hear from not only, um, you know, the GTM partner team, but like from just peers in, in SaaS, uh, is that like, it's, it's cool to have more than one. And it's actually probably better to have more than one because um, one may not work. Markets are constantly shifting. And one thing that could have been working for quite some time may not all of a sudden work. So it's good to be thinking about potential different GTM. So having said that, uh, Proposify has been a PLG product-led growth company since we began. So it was very much self-serve. We were very much targeting small customers, media agencies, and it was it made sense to self-serve on that because you know you try the product, a 14-day trial, you see the value, you're like, oh, this is amazing. You get metrics and you self-serve on that. And that was pretty much the model for almost eight years. So eight years, we were doing that. It was self-serve and we were growing month over month, triple digit growth year over year. We made it to the Deloitte top 50 list in 2020, lots of growth. And then you kind of reach a certain point where PLG may not hundred percent work. So you got to think about, okay, what are other, other potential ways that we can grow? So we tried a, a PQL engine within PLG. Mm-hmm. It's like developing a framework and tactics to drive the large customers within the product. And we just, it wasn't really working that much, but even to like go back, we, we did realize, okay, we were really great with these smaller customers. We were organically bringing in from inbound larger customers. So it's like, how can we get more of that? So we could even scale our growth um, more. So that's when we looked at sales led uh, we hired a team probably six, six to eight years into starting the company. And the first like go at it was not successful. We just could not like grow. Partly we had, you know, I think we had challenges with the junior team. Partly it was new to the mm-hmm. new to the organization. So like figuring out how to make this thing work was hard. So we kept a couple of sales reps because it made sense to do so. But we paused on hiring more at the time. And then we tried again last year. And we started to see some momentum around uh, selling into larger accounts. And so much so that we ended up hiring many more AEs. So I would say PLG and SLG is where we are right now. We have kind of both motions that go. And you can kind of like argue we're also marketing led in some ways because Mm -hmm. we built this self-serve motion. About 75% of our current revenue is generated from inbound in the sense that like somebody discovered us through online digital methods that came to our site and converted. That's how I'm classifying inbound. 70% of our business is currently that. And we're trying to grow that outbound engine. That's a long-winded answer. I'm so sorry. I did it again. (laughs) No, you're fine. I mean, it's it's a complex topic. And you touched on a major point where it's some companies feel like they can only lean into one motion. And every situation is going to be different and the business stage that you're in, right? It obviously makes most sense to be founder-led at the beginning and then perhaps marketing-led and then sales-led. It's not one or the other, it's a combination. And But that's the difficulty of it, right? It's a lot making sure that every, everybody's aligned and integrated so that the customer experience is, is as, as frictionless as possible. So that's, that's the perfect segue into my next question for you, which is just like generally how you're, you're thinking about go to market. I want to tee you up here with just kind of the backdrop of um, B2B SaaS economic and behavioral, just like reality, right? So it's shrinking in smaller markets, especially if you're in MarTech or sales tech, it's hyper-saturated. 
bigger buyer groups, longer sales cycles. It's harder to open wallets and dark funnel and dark social. The understanding that around 60 to 70% of the, the buyer journey is already happening. Again, it's going to be different from company to company. Given all of these realities, what's making you sweat as VP of marketing at Proposify? <laughs> You know, and it can be like the top thing. It can be three, yeah. uh, three things. Just curious about that. Yeah. So, um, so you touched on the economy, which is like absolutely making me sweat. All of a sudden it's efficient growth. And all of a sudden it's about being profitable, not growing and over hiring and doing all of the other things that we were doing in 2021. It's really, again, cliche. Sorry, guys, for you that's listening. You got to do a lot more with a lot less. Just don't do less with more is what I say. But we were doing less with a lot more back in 2021. Mm-hmm. But the thing going back to it is like, it's it's really that. It's like, how do we move fast in these like very dynamic market conditions? And how do we act to win? What we did is we looked at the markets that we're winning in. What's our ideal customer? Who are our happiest customers? Let's move there. Let's talk to them more. Let's be very intentional about those happy customers and get more of them that look like them who are not really affected by this economy, who are actually growing in this economy and who we just happen to really solve a problem for. So we had to shift what we were doing. Um, Also, we had to start thinking about doing things differently. One of the things that changed for me was revenue. Like all of a sudden, like we became a revenue generating marketing organization. And by say say marketing organization, (laughs) I mean marketing team of three. I used to laugh. I used to say I I was the VP of me for a while. Uh, We have a small (laughs) team, but it's like, how do we, (laughs) how do we like, you know, how do we actually build revenue when we're, when we're this small? And it's really about shifting gears and shifting focus. So we were very, we were self-serve for a really long, long time. And we were, uh, we were just generating trials that worked for us for a very long time because we knew the conversion rate on trials. We knew that we would get X percentage of the trials. We knew the churn. And so we knew, okay, for every, every X amount that we need to get in, we're probably going to lose this. So we need to get this much more. We knew how to grow it. We knew how to generate it. And we did that for years and years and years. And our growth was very steady and scalable. However, when you reach the 10 million ARR mark, which we did not so long ago, then things change a bit. And I've talked to CEOs and co-founders who who hit that 10 million ARR mark, who went through the exact same thing. All of a Hmm. sudden, things plateau. There's more people in the market. We talked about that. The proposal software category got really saturated. All of a sudden, everyone was like offering a quoting tool or something that was very similar. So... We had to think differently. We had to think about like, how are we going to grow? So we went from like self-serve, just getting more trials to how do we get more accounts? How do we generate larger? How do we get more larger customers? How do we get the large customers that already buy from us? How do we get more of them intentionally? We overhauled our website. We overhauled our content, our content strategy. One of the things that a lot of marketers don't think about, which is really important is like, you have the people who you know are like, probably having proposal software issues. They know they have a problem. The market that's hardest to capture is those that have a problem that just don't know yet. Mm -hmm. They don't know that they have a problem. And there's a huge, huge bucket of those people that you need to capture. We thought about that. And how do we go above and beyond on that brand awareness so we can capture some of those people as well? Going back to the initial question, is, is the market dynamics absolutely make me sweat? And the other part is when you're changing your strategy you ha- and with a smaller team, th- that's very challenging. So you have to be very focused to be able to generate the goals that you need to hit. And for us, it was revenue. So we have for a long time, 
had been in this trial self-serve business. And then we had to move into a revenue generating team. So that took a lot of different thinking and different tactics. So we're sliding into another area. You're talking about better appreciation of the customer, right? Customer marketing. It's more than just acquisition these days. It's if we want to use it, the 80-20 rule, right? Most of your revenue is going to be coming from 20% of your customer base. We're talking about ABM here, ABX, whatever you want to call it. It's not just breaking into account. It's how can we expand upon it? And there's a lot of talk about ABM now. And I, I think we get it as marketers. It's just good marketing, right? It's just kind of like going back to fundamentals. I'd like to learn about your experience going up market, the lessons that you're learning. I know this is more of a new motion for you. You're, you're kind of iterating on this, but would like to learn about your experience in ABM right now. What have you done? Where are you now? And what kind of lessons have you learned in between? Yeah, absolutely. Just to summarize, we were very much a self-serve company, PLG. We added sales professionals like two-ish years ago. Did it really work? Again, a year ago, we started again and we started to see some success until the economy changed. And we're like, I don't know what's happening here. So then we looked at in Q4, what are our happiest customers? And then we actually shifted verticals a bit. So I'm not going to tell you into details which vertical just for like strategic reasons, but there's this particular vertical that's in this large customer segment that is really happy. And we talk about us all the time. They refer us, they expand with us, longtime customers. So we're like, let's talk to those people. And some of these, like some of these customers are like 50, 50 K ACV. Some of them are like, we had mm-hmm. one that closed that was 65,000 ARR. They're big and we want more of them <laughs> naturally. Mm-hmm. How do we do that? ABM just makes a lot of sense because they kind of, it fits all the kind of the criteria. One is that it's this particular vertical as a market in itself They talk differently. They do things a little bit differently. They have different buyers. They were new. So there was like this huge, like just potential market opportunity for us, addressable market that we could, we could tap into. So we're like account-based totally works for this. We had tried account-based and I wasn't here at the time when we launched today, but it was for SMB and it just wasn't as effective because we were trying more one-to-many versus one-to-few. Where with this one, we're trying like a one to one to few approach, strategically going after specific accounts. So working really closely with our sales team to figure out those accounts that we want to go after. When are we hitting them up? What does it include? How does events play into this in field marketing? How are we going to do this so we can attract more of these customers? So it didn't really make a lot of sense for us to go down that road. Like we had talked about it even in like early 2022, but we're like, I don't know, like, it just, it just seemed too wide of a nap. And then once we decided like, we're going to focus on the specific vertical, which is like a market in its own, ABM became a lot more just strategically viable. And it just, it was something that makes a lot of sense. So we're going down that road. I'd love to check in with you. Or if you're listening to this, you want to check in with me in about six months. <laughs> They're longer buying cycles. It's going to take us a little bit of time. And that's the other thing is like, these people, they're not really, like some of them are not on digital. There's less digital savviness with this bunch. They're not going to like download a piece of content that they found online. They might, they might, but like, it's more like we have to go to them. So the account-based model makes a lot of sense. Would you be able to, to speak to like what a buyer journey might look like in this particular vertical? And then how are you thinking about how to break into these accounts, whether it's 
addressing each stakeholder with particular content or a particular experience. Just curious about that, if you can speak to it. Yeah. So what we learned so far is that there's different tiers of this vertical. So there's those that are smaller, they'll come inbound. So they behave like very similarly to just a regular customer. They'll download our content. They'll see us online. They'll maybe register for an event that we have because they, they are a little bit more digital savvy, but the buying journey is a little bit longer. So, so they may trial or may not, or they may trial and then they may not be ready to speak to somebody right away. So this is why this is an interesting vertical because we know some stuff about them, but we don't know a lot about them. So a part of this exercise and test will be very much like mapping what that is. How does this look like? How do we, can we optimize the touch points that are very much relevant to this vertical? So if they're like specifically somebody that, or, or a particular buyer that loves customized events, then we're going to definitely do more of that. So we're actually like this year going to be for the first time since COVID. And I don't think we've done this as a company at Proposify. We're going to be having these very selected custom events because we think that they, this is what they like. And so far the turnout, the turnout right now for the first event is, is good. So we're hoping like that, you know, so it's about really understanding that and learning more about it. So we don't know, we don't have like a typical buyer path right now that we understand sure. we're like let's duplicate that like right now but a part of it is learning learning that and what i'll say is this is like this sometimes we want definitive answers of like exactly what this buyer will do but i'll tell you this adam is that every buyer no matter what vertical is always a little bit different so this is the other thing that so even though like they typically will you know, come in through uh, a demo and then they take longer or they, you know, will consume content for like six months and then they'll come to our site and that whatever, it's always a little bit different. So I know as marketers, we want this sure thing of like, this is exactly what will happen with this particular buyer, but I've been doing marketing now. I've been a marketer for, I don't know, a while. It's been like, I don't know, freaking 15 20 years. I don't, maybe, I don't know if it's been 20 years yet, but something like that. <laughs> and, you know, it's like we, you can never fully, fully map it out, but I know we try and there's a whole bunch of tools that'll help you do it. And you can understand, but I also, I always find that like going in the weeds too much will also get you, like you'll, you'll get lost in it. So that's the other thing is it's like, if you try to like figure out the exact buyer journey of this particular buying persona, so you can go down that path. And then it's like, you know, is it worth like figuring out the exact attribution of that particular buyer and the buyer pack? So instead of just keep going, like, try and test, just keep testing and keep moving forward. The ability to zoom in and zoom out without zooming in too much or zooming out too much, right? It's kind of the middle ground. So you kind of get the... Uh... I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. You know, I haven't heard that in a while. And you know what? It's such a good... I'm putting it on my sticky. I have sticky notes. I'm putting it on my sticky note. Zoom in. Awesome. And you don't do too much of either. I mm -hmm. totally well, and, and kind of related to that, I'm curious because as you said, as marketers and as marketing leaders and the people that we report to, they want us to move quickly. They want, they want that ROI. They want to have some kind of understanding that there's progress. ABM takes a long time, right? Depending on who you talk to, this can be a 
one year, two year, three year process of breaking into an account, you know, especially if it's a really big one. How do you have that conversation with leadership? There's got to be patience to build that runway. And what does that conversation look like? If it's like, you know, we may not be seeing ROI for another 18 months. Okay, cool. That's going to be easy to nix if I'm the CEO and be like, no, we got to move. We got to look somewhere else. Yeah, um, that's a harder, harder conversation. Yes. Yeah, so the, so enterprise accounts will definitely have like those 18 month buyer cycles, uh, buying cycles. I find that um, currently the, longest buyer. So we we're typically like, because we're SMB SaaS primarily, we're like 30, 45 days, like max. Got so it. it's usually where we are with SMB. And then we we've noticed that with these larger customers, we go up to like three months, but it hasn't extended to like that 18 month period. As we get into like complex or multi-location deals, like those might take much longer. It's a little bit of forecasting. It's understanding like the potential revenue opportunity. It's showing the current ability to bring in some of those large accounts. So there's some confidence that there's some momentum in that area, but also forecasting what that could be. So this is like the potential revenue, you know, whatever it is. So if it's like, if we're forecasting $3 million in this new business, ARR, this is what it's going to cost us. So you map it out based on what you understand your unit economics to be. Um, plan out like, you know, larger, like it's going to cost you probably more. It's going to be more expensive. It's not going to be digital like PPC. Although arguably that's, you know, Google is really expensive right now. So mm-hmm. um, we've, we noticed that <laughs> our branded keywords we were like, could we afford this anymore? I don't even know. Um, so yeah, so I think it's it's it to show the business, the business, um, like what is the actual like how does this look like from a business perspective? How much is this gonna sure. cost? What's the and once you show the numbers um and do some um some of that, I think it's easier to certainly it's easier for me to say yes to it. Like if somebody on my team is like, Hey, this is the opportunity. This is what, how much we can get. This is how we're going to do it. This, these are the main, main channels that, that we need to like go after. This is like, we need like one AE on this. It's going to cost us this much, but this is the potential revenue and payback. Then yeah, like let's, let's go for it. But the 18, I know it's harder when it's 18 months, then it's, it's a little, it's a little tough. Right. I, I haven't actually had to like make that business case uh, for the 18 month cycle. So might be another guest to tell you the math to tell you how they did it. <laughs> oh, you know, that was perfect. No, thanks for taking me through that. Yeah, every product's gonna be a little bit different. Um, yeah. kind of slide into the last segment here. This is a little bit of a exploratory theoretical question. I would like to talk about the website and the role that it plays with uh, you know, customer yeah. marketing or just like the entire buyer journey and customer journey, what have you. Given what you've learned in your your ABM motion and, and what you're currently doing, how have you thought about how the website can help? And this is this is a content marketing question as much as like a website structure uh, question. Um, when it comes to ABM or ABX, do you see the website playing an important role in customer marketing? Yeah. And how are you thinking about that? More so like post-sales experience, if you will. But we can also talk about uh, pre-sales. Just kind of curious how you're thinking about that. Oh, yes. Such a good question. I wish I had like a super sophisticated, amazing, awesome, like answer for it. (laughs) Yeah. But like, you know, so like Snowflake is a very amazing example of like how to do ABM, right? Like pre and post sales. So they like would have individual websites per account, basically like how like Mm -hmm. sites per account. And like, that's freaking awesome. And if you can get to that scale, 
Amazing. You know, we were looking at personalization. Like I was looking at, um, you know, mutiny, for example, as a uh, an opportunity to do that. You know, even like personalization tools within within your site, like some, you know, Marketo has some like basic stuff there too, but nobody would say that Marketo is like a personalization website tool. Um, but there's other like amazing tools that, that, that can help you do that. And I think if you can do that, fantastic, but like crawl, walk, run, like I'm all about, you know, doing that. Um, and for us right now, so we have looked at this like targeted vertical. So we just want to like make the site very useful so they can find the shit that they need and find mm-hmm. it easily. So like we change like the main app to include that vertical so they can go to like a special, like a personalized landing page where they have like custom use cases and that particular vertical with messaging that resonates with that particular vertical by going and having actual interviews with these customers and taking literally bits of the interview and plopping it onto the, onto that page. Um, so that's like pre-sale. I haven't thought about post-sale to be honest with you. And like, that's something that I think that, you know, is going to be definitely like an outcome of us going down this road is like, mm-hmm. how do we continue that experience so they can like con- continue to come to us for, you know, valuable content to help address their business needs. Um, but I, we, it's a really great question. Um, and I think like a good point for me to address with my team is like, how are we going to do this after post-sale? Um, who do you think does that well? I'm just curious. Like, do you have any use cases? I'm going to go tap them for that. Yeah, no, that's a great question. This is really something that I've been um, uh, exploring recently. So I had um, Karina Owens, the head of ABM over at Gong, and she uses microsites in her campaigns as well. And we spoke a little bit about it in our in our uh, episode. If I can um, send listeners in that direction, I've done it a couple times, but it's not a microsite. It's a it's a dedicated landing page, and yeah, we use Mutiny to to speak and and kind of optimize or, or update the specific though. elements. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, so we so we had talked about launching a microsite initially for this particular. But we're like, oh, it's too soon. Like, what if like you know, what if this like this is like the hypothesis is that we're going to be really successful in this vertical, and because we, we've already had some previous experience here. But like we haven't, so I think that would be the next step for sure is like, okay, so we have this like awesome landing page, build it from there. And how do we create like this actual like experience for this particular vertical? Cause it's so number one, underserved number two, like they have specific needs and it's different from all the other customers that we have specifically are small and tiny. So it's like a regular site. They probably wouldn't find much value out of it. So I can absolutely, I think a microsite would definitely be something that they would need and that's mm-hmm. how and that the site experience could deliver some extra value for that particular the customer i completely agree and and like you said earlier it's um it's iterative you know start small and and work up right it's uh just get a feedback loop going and 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 scale when you need to but thanks for talking this through with me uh nadia this is this has been awesome i've learned so much uh, here. I've got a couple of rapid fire questions for you before we close out here. My favorite. <laughs> it's funny. These actually turn out to be a little, sometimes like longer discussions, actually, <laughs> which is kind of funny. But the first one I have for you, this is yeah. one I've been uh, just recently been asking. What's something about you that makes you successful that you can't find on, on your LinkedIn? Yeah. So successful is like, honestly, 
fitness. I know it sounds like a boring answer, but like I, I run and I work out. And if I didn't do that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to do anything. It's absolutely a part of my routine. Like every day, 30 minutes have to do it. And that completely helps me be a better thinker, a clearer thinker. I have more energy for myself and for everyone that needs me in my life, including myself. I love it. What do you wish more B2B SaaS marketers would do more of? I wish they would post more and, and share their experiences. I, I think that like, I it was, okay, this is horrible. <laughs> and I sound like <laughs> an asshole for saying this, but somebody asked me the other day, and I think you did too, is like, who do you follow B2B like SaaS marketers? Like, who do you follow today? And I, I couldn't think of many like B2B SaaS marketers that are really doing something different and fresh and like are killing it right now. And like, that's terrible to say. I mean, I have mm. a few on the list, but like those who are really doing something different and standing out, I just felt like there wasn't enough. Like we had, there's a lot of sure. sellers who do this. Sellers are amazing at this. Consultants are amazing at this, but the actual B2B SaaS marketers who are currently working under hire as a, like an actual marketer for that company. They're not, they're not, there's not a many that will share their insights publicly. And I wish there was more of that. I, I find that it's the it's the marketers that don't post a lot on LinkedIn that are the, that are the really brilliant ones that need to start posting. Uh, so I, I'm I'm completely with you. Totally, like most of the most brilliant B two B SaaS marketers I know have hardly any like LinkedIn presence. Like they just they don't post. They just don't spend their time there, and that's okay. But I just wish they would share more so we can all learn from them. I'm completely with you. I love the whole build in public movement that uh, that's starting to happen. Last question for you. What's the best way for listeners to get in touch with you? I'm assuming right on LinkedIn, right? Just right on LinkedIn. That's where I spend most of my time. I was kind of on Twitter, but like, I don't know, maybe I'll come back to it one day. I'm not sure. But like LinkedIn's the best way to, to find me for sure. There you have it, folks. Um, thanks, Nadia. Uh, hopefully this is the last conversation. Again, this has been so useful. Thanks for your support. This is a, this is a new uh, podcast. We're all kind of just like jumping in here and learning. So appreciate you being willing to come on and, and talk this stuff through with me. Thanks so much for having me, Adam. This has been awesome.